2: 20 Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin Cash is King. For now, at least, the cryptocurrency outperforming the rest of the universe in the last month. And there's one reason why the party isn't over, according to our crypto baller, Brian Kelly. He'll explain. Plus, GE's turbocharged turnaround. The stock soaring today. And the chart master says the worst is over for the industrial giant. He'll tell us why he is so excited. But first, we start off with the words that sparked the market rally.
3: What I would have really said is this has been a trade dispute all along. It never was a trade war. It's a trade dispute on significant issues. Both parties have agreed to suspend the, the tariffs. Uh, our, our 150, they're 50. For our farmers, this is going to be fabulous
4: right away.
2: It wasn't just farmers feeling fabulous. Wall Street was feeling pretty good, too. The Dow jumping nearly 300 points, now up 1,500 points in just 13 days of trading, and the Dow hitting 25,000 for the first time since March. So with the trade war with China on the back burner for now, did we just get the all-clear signal for stocks? Are we headed back to all-time highs, Guy?
5: Well, I think we got the all-clear signal a few Thursdays ago, and we talked about it before that jobs number came out. We had a whole conversation, if the wage number wasn't hot, There's a very good chance, given the price action that day with the S&P again testing 2580 and closing higher, that, you know what, don't fade the ensuing rally. That's proven to be correct. And I'm not trying to be glib here and saying everything is beautiful, despite that song, which
1: is brutal, by the way. Oh, come on, nobody sings that, by the way. That's, that's, that nobody that song is, is should a ever a sing <laughs> song, That song's a tease for a, a guest we may have on. That doesn't make it better. Is that Tony Braxton?
5: No. Uh, well, it's, well, wait, wait, it's awful. But to, to answer your question, yes, I think the fact that we, took, we tried that 2580 level a number of times Failed for the Bears means now the Bulls are in charge. And I think they're going to take it up through 2,800 in the
1: S&P.
2: What was different about today's rally was that the cyclicals led this rally. It was the industrials. It was transport. What did you make of that?
1: Yeah, look, I I love the IYT. Again, if you look at the IYT since we hit the highs on Jan 26, has bumped up against this 195 level four times. We broke right up through. And again, I do believe that the transports are really telling you the strength of the economy and and actually the cyclicality that remains. What we're hearing about rail car pricing, it's actually improving. I, I know the inflation hawks fear that this is actually going to trickle through to inflation. But right now... This is telling you what companies know, that things are better. Yeah, I mean, just remember what we had before this whole trade dispute came out.
3: We were worried about an economy that potentially was overheating, that had too much going on. The Fed was going to have to raise rates. Then all of a sudden this trade war talk came along. We cooled things off. So now if I look around the world, you know, you talked about the cyclicals. Those are global companies, right? And we had the dollar come off a little bit. We've had a pretty good run on the dollar. So you get a steady uh, dollar. You get... No trade war. You get an economy that's doing fairly well. And I think you get this nice breakout. But it did. It's been happening for a while. We've talked about the small caps for a while as
6: well. Yeah, so I'm not certain how much has been priced in about a trade war. I mean, this is kind of a self-inflicted situation by the White House. Obviously, a couple months ago, they threw this out there. It wasn't kind of in. Uh, it wasn't in the markets, and, and it really did cause a little volatility. But at the end of the day, when I look at some of the things that were most affected by this, look at Boeing, the relative strength that's shown throughout this whole period, and then your steel stocks—they started going down, you know, a while ago. I mean, at some point, meaning like giving back on the back, trade announcement, yeah, effect-
1: effectively. yeah, but what I'm saying is giving,
6: giving back, you know, a lot of that thing. So to me, I'm not so certain there was so much in it and and maybe that's bullish maybe like these guys are saying they're talking about these levels we broke those downtrends it's been a volatile period but you know guy you said we may have the market going back through 2800 we we may you know getting through 2900 is going to be a totally different thing the nasdaq's not far from breaking out we know the russell 2000 just broke out to new highs but i'm not so certain what the thing is that gets them going higher you know we talk about rotation Um, bank stocks really haven't gotten going we know where yields are we know the yield curve that sort of thing so to me i'm just not so certain that the thing THINGS THAT GOT US to the highs in January, the thing to make new highs. Well, later if you on get us year. back
3: to the the narrative of this global economic strength, this synchronized global growth, then you are going to get these uh, equities and tech and everything high.
6: Wasn't some of the data in Europe and I mean there was just some soft data over the no, last totally. couple of months. Is that global synchronized recovery? Are we about to hit a multi-quarter soft spot in that? Because let's be frank, that's been the narrative for the last or, year and a half.
3: Or the strength of this quarter, the strength in the U.S. is actually going to pull them out. There's there's two ways to look at it. You've also had emerging markets that have gotten crushed. Again, if you get a dollar that is slightly weaker, and I'm not talking about a very weak dollar, but you get that off the boil a bit, emerging markets gonna come back, and don't forget. Oil prices, commodity guys, prices it's, it's going gold,
1: better are good for that part of the world. But it, guys, it comes back to what you want to pay for this market. So we 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 universally acknowledge it was a great first quarter. But we've also had plenty of guests on the show, and and we don't need guests to know that, that you get a contracting market multiple in a period where the Fed is hiking doesn't mean that the market has to be a disaster. And and you know we have a guest coming on soon who I think's got a, a very positive view on that. I, I think ultimately if you look at what you want to pay for stocks with rates at three three ten three and a quarter and volatility going to be uh, not nine to ten. And I realize by the way the VIX has been below the 200 days, seven of eight days, which is a lot of comfort for people. But do you really think that the VIX is going to stay there? You remove the central bank put, folks. And I think it's a very different market, and that's what concerns me. I mean, it's
2: an interesting setup because we've had 13 days of gains, right, a very short amount of time, and yet we have a Fed meeting coming up in June. We've got the North Korean summit potentially happening in June as well. We are setting up potentially for a very volatile period in the next month. 100%.
5: June 12th, I think, is yes. the day, right? So, And and again, I'll say, the, you know, the, vol- the sell-off in the marketplace took was a February 5th, I believe, long before, and again, we've said it, Chinese tariffs were even somebody's dream. So... I just I understand that it didn't help the market, the Chinese tariffs, but I don't think that's what took us down. I think it's concerns about the Fed. So to your point, I don't think the Fed put his uh, there either. You know, Tim said it before. But you have a few weeks before that happens, and a lot can happen to the upside in a few All weeks. Oh, vice versa. a lot can ha-
6: I mean, listen, if rates started to go higher, we have that meeting June 13th. Think about this. What if that North Korean uh, uh, meeting doesn't happen? What if we get – start – like ratcheting up the tensions again with China on the trade front, don't think for a second that the Chinese tariffs and the North Korean deal are not attached in some way, shape or form. There's not, this is not a big mystery why tensions got simmered, and then then settled down without any specifics. We don't have a trade deal. We have agreement that we're not going to war right now. Let's see what happens June
1: 12th. Really quickly, the thing that worries me the most, and and go to Europe, is is that Italy's basically at 18-month highs on yields. You you can't have exit from extreme monetary policy in Europe without some pain. And, And this is a credit event. I mean, bottom line, we haven't seen credit events here. We never did in the first quarter when we had volatility. That's good news. The ECB worries me more than the Fed by a factor of three. It, it, Italy is an issue if ECB moves too quickly. So does
2: that make the U.S. look even that much better? Uh, you can't tell view? me
1: um, if Greece stirred the drink uh, five years ago that Italy is in a bigger cocktail. So
2: shouldn't we see the dollar go higher then, which would be well, a concern of yours? We have, right?
1: And But what but we even saw today...
2: Here.
3: No, well, what we saw today is when the uh, Italian government was named, it looked like they backed off some of their most extreme positions, which would be basically wiping out Italian debt. So the dollar did not back off a bit. You're rallied on that. So again, if we can get some stability in the foreign currency markets, but I would, I would echo what Tim said. Look at non-performing loans in Europe. That could be the kind of thing that you want to watch out there because that could be what rattles us.
2: All right. Well, our next guest says the market has been gripped by irrational fears and that there's nothing to worry about. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, Chief Market Strategist at Canaccord Genuity. And Tony, welcome back to the show. Great um, to be here. Um, we Matt. are going to go through each fear one by one, and we want you to tell us why it doesn't matter. All right, so let's get to the first fear. Rising rates, why doesn't that matter, Tony?
7: Rising rates matter when it creates an environment where it shuts down lending. So besides the inversion of the yield curve, which we talk about each time I'm on the show, what you want, you don't, we come through with these ideas like we have any idea, is it 3%, is it 3.1%, it's so ridiculous. What it is is whatever the level is to create an environment that shuts down lending. And how do you know when that's going to happen? There's low-frequency data and high-frequency data. The low-frequency data is things like bank lending standards. Mm-hmm. They really tighten lending standards when they're going to stop lending. When you get delinquency rates start to pick up significantly, you get, that's when you can tell that there's an environment that's in trouble when debt service ratios are spiking. It makes it hard for us to take on any more debt. I love debt, (laughs) you know, just ask Mrs. D. There's lots of debts in in the Duars because I can afford it. The interest expense is low. When that changes, it creates a new dynamic. On a higher frequency data, you can see the perception of a credit event via corporate debt spreads, you can see it via swap spreads and other interbank rates like the LIBOR OIS spread. None of those things are there, and the one indicator that I think is the most important is the Chicago Fed National Financial Conditions stress indices. Mm -hmm. And what it's 105 indicators that tell you when things are going sideways, and they are still historically low.
2: So things like delinquency, I'm just trying to understand, do all these things have to happen at once? And are there other barometers out there, such as delinquencies on credit cards
7: and and auto loans, et cetera, that that also might be a tell? It's a tell for that segment. For example, subprime auto debt. Definitely had increased delinquency and default yeah. rate assumptions, but it didn't change the overall macro trend. So what it comes down to is you, it doesn't happen on a tick. It happens on a process. We have plenty of time. The viewers will know I'm annoyingly bullish over the over the course of the last nine years because you have not had a significant uptrend in these data series. Now it's starting to change. And I've always said this is right. going to end badly.
2: All right. Let's uh, get to the next sphere, the stronger dollar. What are investors missing with the stronger
7: dollar, Tony? I've never seen the dollar be good for stocks, ever. When it's a strong dollar, it's a headwind to, to earnings. When it's a weak dollar, well, it's currency translation. It doesn't really count. So, Or it's it, a flight to quality it, from something, and that's it, never a good backdrop. It's never a good backdrop. So I've never seen the currency actually act as a tailwind for stocks. All
2: right. Um, lastly, we want to get through this before we ask questions. Surging oil, you say, who cares? Why
7: shouldn't we care about surging oil, Tony? Have you ever noticed, guys, that the negatives in the market are always dynamic and the positives are always static? So you have this increase in the price of oil, increase in interest rates, increase in all these negative influences. We don't talk about how incomes continue to go up. They only are talked about when it's the negative of inflation that's going to kill the market. So we think that you've had an increase in, the, in incomes, which is offsetting both at a corporate and household level, the higher cost of oil, other commodities, and, of course, interest expense.
2: I think, BK, you had a question.
3: I do have a question on, we're looking at these fears, right? And the one thing we don't see is the dollar could be acting like the VIX in that we have so much US-denominated debt globally. The higher it
7: goes, the more of a credit problem that becomes. Do you Are you concerned about that? Eventually, 100%, BK. This is going to end so badly. It's going to end badly because you cannot fit fix debt with exponentially more debt. So when the interest rates go up, your delinquencies go up, your defaults go up, et cetera, et cetera. But it happens on a trend. And we are still historically low, even after the recent uptick with interest rates. Globally, we're still at a level that isn't worse. Energy
5: real quick. So energy goes higher. Disposable income goes, gets you know, whacked. We haven't seen the wage growth necessarily to offset that. But if you do see the wage growth to offset it, you're going to have the Fed back in place. So
7: what are we looking for in terms of wage? Do you want wage growth or you don't want wage growth, I guess is my question. You, you want wage growth. Clearly you want, listen, we're in the second half of the cycle. The Fed has started to raise rates. They're going to invert the curve. Like I said, it's going to go sideways. But again, disposable, nominal disposable personal income is underestimated by 8.4% per year from 1965 to 2005 when the Philly Fed did the study and it's continued on. So whatever you think the wage numbers are, jump it by 8.4% a year. So that offsets this interest expense. That's why looking at it, this just from a, a negative framework doesn't work. You've got to look at it as a, um, not just the delinquency rate, but the household debt service ratio. I have too much debt. I know I can afford it unless I lose my job, uh, as long as the interest expense doesn't change.
2: Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Great Tony to be Dwyer. here.
6: Thanks, guys. Anacor, well, that was the exact problem in 2008. Too many people lost their jobs, and then they couldn't afford the interest expense. I mean, so when he talks about going sideways and it's not going to end well, we're talking about another crisis. We're talking about uh, the stock market getting cut in half. So they lost their jobs after from- a credit bubble. What's that? They lost their jobs after a credit well, bubble. Well, yeah, right, but there was a- it was a risk asset bubble. It also happened in 2000, the same thing. Remember all those people kind of toiling away, making little apps and stuff that you'd show some uh, little advertisements on, you know, at some point? In 2000, they jammed one too many, you know, ad on a website that people are we weren't looking same at. Spot well, we couldn't. Well, well, what I'm saying is, is that when you think about, we have risk assets that are kind of bubbling up effectively because of where interest rates have been. And at some point, if you talk about credit, we didn't even talk about China. Where's China's uh, debt to GDP? Isn't it like a 270 percent or something like that? The last time we
1: kind of you, you make it sound as if we're about to go over a cliff. I'm not here, making it sound. Not
6: I, that's not what I'm saying either. But we have a real bull here who's telling us that. It's all going to go sideways eventually. We're in the second half of this thing. and what i is going higher. Okay. I heard that, and then I heard the other
5: bit, too. So what I'm saying is at some point, you know, the, you know, the music's going to stop. That's the it. only yeah. argument I have, and Tim knows this a lot better than I do, but the, the Chinese debt to GDP is probably about 240-ish percent, but except that 85% of that debt is owned by the Chinese. Yeah. Exactly. So that, it's hard to make that parallel, I think, not to put on my... Well, sorry, we, sorry we haven't that. had any sovereign debt crisis ever. I don't know, I mean, have we? I,
6: I Here's
1: what I think: steel stocks quickly. were knocked down. I actually think I bought a little bit of steel today. I, I think they didn't do well when we announced the trade tariffs. They didn't announce. They didn't do well today when we got rid of them. Stay in the steel name.
2: Coming up, despite today's rally, GE is still down nearly 50 percent from its 52-week high. But the chart master says the worst is over for the industrial giant. Who will be here to break down the charts? Plus, a slew of bad news for Tesla from another fatal crash to a negative Consumer Reports review. But the stock still rallying. Why? We've got a special report. And later, Brian Kelly, our own crypto baller, says something happened today in Bitcoin Cash that could make the cryptocurrency the must-own coin. You'll tell us what that is and take your tweets, maybe even a mean one. Ooh. We got lots mean. of those, actually, lots of them. So, tweet us at CNBC Fast Money with your questions about Bitcoin Cash. You're watching Fast Money live from New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. More bad news for Tesla today as a Model S was involved in
0: a deadly car accident. Let's get to Condessa Brewer in the newsroom with the very latest. Condessa. Yeah, Melissa, California Highway Patrol is investigating another deadly crash involving a Tesla. Investigators said the Model S appeared to veer off the road, smash through a fence and plunge into a pond. This was in the San Francisco area. The 34-year-old driver was found seated behind the wheel of the submerged car Investigators are looking into whether speed, drugs or alcohol were factors or whether the autopilot was on. You know, the headline comes the same day Consumer Reports has stopped short of recommending Tesla's Model 3. Part of their review says, quote, our testers also found flaws, big flaws, such as long stopping distances in our emergency braking test and difficult to use controls. That was in the publication's review. It took 152 feet to stop from 60 miles an hour, worse than even the Ford F-150. That's a full-size pickup truck. Consumer Reports pointed out, though, some advantages as well, agile handling and the battery duration. Tesla has had a rather combative history with Consumer Reports, and it counters that its own testing shows stopping distances roughly 20 feet shorter Depending on the tires used. Meanwhile, over the weekend, Elon Musk unveiled details of the much anticipated new dual motor Model 3s on Twitter. Uh, Musk touted the specs of the high performance, all wheel drive model in particular. He says it will go from zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. It will reach top speeds of 155 and get. 310 miles on a battery charge he also tweeted the cost of $78,000 without autopilot is about the same as a bmw m3 but quote 15 percent quicker and better handling will beat anything in its class on the track he said on twitter barenberg buys it analyst alexander hazel tells investors they'll be surprised by the model 3's gross margins and raise the price target to 500 bucks that's up from 470 as, as you can see uh, ended the day up almost three percent melissa All right. Thank you very much, Contessa Brewer. Contessa Brewer back in the
2: newsroom. Uh, At this point, where are we in terms of the Tesla range? 244 was a 52-week low. Were we more likely to go 40 bucks lower or 40 bucks higher? Well, I'm
5: in the 40 bucks higher camp, and 280 sort of been the line in the sand. And when it broke the one time, it traded down to your 244 level, traded back up and breached 310, I think, for a while. It's a very difficult trade, and I'm not suggesting it's for the faint of heart. but. If you have the temerity, good word, Dan. I think you traded on the long side against 280. I have no idea what temerity means, obviously. Yeah.
3: Google it, and I'll tell you what, what you do here. Yeah. Against 280, I agree with Guy. Think about this as risk-reward, though, right? The analyst was talking about a $500 price target. That's almost a double from here, all right? If I buy it at 284, I've got $4 of downside with my 280 stop. If I want to let it ride all the way down to 240, that's $40, so but I'm still looking at a double. So that's a pretty good risk-reward.
2: You actually say that this guy a double because
1: some guy chucks a dart and gets to 500? Come on. I'm saying, that. well, listen, this is not a stock that you buy for 50 bucks up, 50 bucks down. No, it's not. And, and I also, by the way, I don't think you buy it for their, their AV business. I don't think people are – I don't think Tesla wants to compete with Waymo. Oh, I mean, I think – so, I mean, some of this stuff, I think, is noise around a story that is truly, uh, you know, a cash-burn story, uh, not getting scale enough, competition, and a valuation that doesn't make any sense. So, I sell to both of you guys. I think the downward trend on the 50 at 355 down from Feb 27 is, is – it's not getting through that 50 right the
6: now. The temerity of your call, I would just tell you, though, is – I mean, listen, here's the thing. I, I agree <laughs> – I That's agree. Funny. With you. Did you use Bing to find that? No, <laughs> I think if you're buying this stock at 285 after it's been very no? va- Can I can I speak? Go. It's been very volatile with a lot of news over the last few months here. You have to have a very long-term time horizon. It's just that simple. And if you're buying it right now knowing before they're going to actually have to raise capital, which will be dilutive, then you also have to have a very long time horizon. So to me, I don't like the news of the 78,000 Model 3. It's getting very close to the price of the Model S. Isn't
2: that even better, though, because their margins are even higher? Okay, fine.
6: But maybe how are they moving around production? We know that they're not doing a great job producing these three cars all at once, we know that they have 400,000 wait uh, people waiting for Model 3s, and we don't even know if it's the dual engine, you, you know, whatever this one is, or something. Like that. So to me, it just seems like a bit of a mess. They need to start doing 5,000 a week of any
1: of them, right, and just get them out the door. Which, by the way, equals extreme temerity in the view on Tesla. Fair enough.
2: I think that we're all using the word temerity incorrectly. No, no, wrong, R-O-N-G, I think- wrong.
5: <laughs> I <laughs> use it <laughs> correctly. Wordsmith,
1: you- it's it's audaciousness, it's overconfidence,
2: correct? Uh, yeah. Courage. Yes. I'm not sure courage. about that. Yeah, courage. Courage.
3: I don't feel comfortable right. with that definition.
2: Anyway, coming Welcome up. to school. <laughs> the Obamas <laughs> are about to invade your living room. Netflix signing a multi-year deal with the former president and first lady, and it has traders betting the stock is about to take off. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
4: Our long national nightmare is over. That's what GE investors are hoping as the beaten industrial touched a three-month high today. And the man who called the rally says it's only just begun. He'll tell you how high he sees it going. Plus, fly me to the moon. Crypto baller Brian Kelly says something just happened in Bitcoin cash that could mean the cryptocurrency could soon moon. And he'll tell you what that is. And take your tweets when Fast Money returns.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Micron. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom for the details. Les.
8: Hey, Melissa, that's right. Micron shares are up in after-hours trading after Micron and Intel announced production and shipment of a new cutting-edge flash memory technology and announced uh, development, this is on Micron's side, progress of their third-generation NAND flash memory structure. Now, Micron's board also About 30 minutes later, at 5 p.m., authorized a discretionary repurchase of up to $10 billion of outstanding common stock that's in conjunction with the company's plan to return at least 50% of free cash flow beginning in the 2018 fiscal year. That's according to an announcement that came out around 5 o'clock. Now, as you recall, some prominent hedge funds recently upped their stakes big time during the quarter, including David Tepper's Appaloosa. Uh, And it also, this buyback announcement comes after another tech company, Adobe, authorized its own $8 $8 billion stock repurchase program. But as you can see there, investors definitely much more in support of the uh, the number given by Micron. Back over to you.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Leslie Picker. So this is a monster move that we've seen in just the past. So during the regular session, it was up by almost 4%. In the after session, it's up another 4%. And of course, it also raises fiscal third quarter guidance on the analyst day. Today. All right.
5: So a few months ago when the stock was trading 58. We had a conversation about. It. I yeah. think this could be a double from here. Well, the stock basically went straight down from that point. And traded I think 48 or so. Now we're back to levels. So quickly, 10 billion dollars for Micron's not insignificant. I think that's about 17 and a half percent of their market cap ish, and the valuation is pretty ridiculous and compelling. So I was dead wrong a few months ago. But I don't think nothing. I don't think anything in the story has necessarily changed. So I do think it goes higher from the here.
6: The
2: implications for the rest of the sector. We saw listen, them today.
5: It, I mean, listen, if
6: this thing can get back to the highs, either SMH is still well below its highs, 5 6%, something like that, I mean, that will lead it up. Intel's been kind of just hanging out here. There's a good announcement, if you guys have the time, check it out on NAND between Micron um, and Intel on in a one-terabit uh, cell. I mean, so it's a, a lot of good stuff here, and they did save something for the analyst day. I'll just say this. It better keep rallying. It's rallied into this event, and so I could see it kind of sell off uh, over the next couple of days,
1: unless all of tech. Fika, you're going to curl up tonight with a good article on nan. Yeah, bro. yeah. I mean, I well, that and this.
3: seven nanometer chips, which actually the reason why I actually own this for the ETF, and the reason why is because those What's NAND the chips, the ticker on the ETF, but yeah. that's BKC. Thanks for asking. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, the reason why we own it is because those nan chips do go into the mining rigs. There's good notes last week about these seven nanometer chips potentially coming out sooner than later, so adding to a catalyst here.
2: All right, let's switch gears here. GE surging today after selling off its transportation division in an $11 billion merger as the industrial giant looks to push forward on its turnaround plan. Bob Bissani is at the New York Stock Exchange with the details. Hi, Bob.
9: Hello, Melissa. Simplify, simplify. This is another step in an attempt to trim down GE into manageable and profitable pieces. Now, the transportation business largely consists of its locomotive business, which will be combined with Wabtec's locomotive, freight car, commuter cars, and aftermarket business. GE will receive $2.9 billion in cash. At closing, GE and its shareholders will get a 50% ownership, 50.1% ownership in the combined company. Now, GE is, frankly, a mishmash of different companies. There's eight primary industrial business segments. Power, aviation, healthcare, oil and gas, renewable energy, GE Capital, transportation, and lighting. Now, ultimately, GE seems to be heading toward a company built mostly around the aviation, the power, the healthcare, and partly the renewables business. There's definitely growth in some of these segments. The order book last quarter, for example, reflected double-digit earnings growth in aviation and renewable energy was doing good, single-digit growth in healthcare. There was a drop in power orders. That's the gas turbine business. Renewable energy, that's the wind business, is also seeing healthy growth. Transportation is only $4 billion of GE's $122 billion in annual revenue. So this is a pretty small deal in terms of revenue. But at least the new CEO, John Flannery, is demonstrating he can take action and raise cash. Now, next up could be the lighting division. Look for a deal there. There will likely be more deals also in power as well as the oil and gas Division. The street reaction has generally been positive, positive, indeed. that makes a lot of sense. Morningstar's analyst, Keith Schoonmaker, said, we think the market is likely to smile on any decisive action Flannery can take to declutter, smooth, and de-risk General Electric, even if the result is a smaller conglomerate. Back to you, Melissa.
2: All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Pisani. Well, our next guest said to, to buy GE back in April. Take a listen.
4: Here's what's sort of interesting. As, again, It's continued lower over the last several weeks and months. The actual internals have moved higher. I think I want to stick my neck out, take a gamble that this very important, now less important stock is maybe so bad it's good.
2: And in fact, it was a case of so bad it's good. Shares are up 18% since hitting a low on
4: March 26th. Chartmaster, Carter Worth, the Cornerstone
2: Macro, back at the plasma to double down on the
4: call. Carter. Yeah, so a a little bit of a pop, or a lot of bit of a pop, 18%, but I think there's more to go. Let's try to figure it out. First, I just want to talk about industrials versus the market. I mean, there is this feeling of late that industrials have come back to life, and they have. um, I want to look at industrials, the XLI versus the SPY, over the past 10 years. So this is early uh, May of to Here we are, May of 2018. Now, they look the same, and they are, right? 99%, you can see that here. But what's important is the blue line... Is the industrials And it's constantly lagging the orange line. And when it dips, when it dips, when it dips, it's much worse. So another way to look at this is to hold the orange line as a constant, next chart, to expose the blue line. Now, here's another way to look at that. So we know they're the same, 99 percent, over the 10-year period. But this is really the risk-adjusted return that you get. You're having these drawdowns of 10 percent of 10 percent, of 15 percent, only to get back to even. So adjusted for beta or risk, industrials have been a very unhappy place to be, basically, for the entire bull phase of the past decade. Um, Moving on to GE. We know GE. Here's the chart again, just to put that in context. an interesting thing. So they look the same, but they're not. GE. This stock, of course, really started to get into trouble about two years ago. We've got this spread between the market and GE. I want to sort of drill down on the current action and see if this really is the makings of a genuine bottom. Now, that has the look to my eye of something of a head and shoulders. You can kind of see it there. So on the next chart, I want to zero in. This is a five-year chart. Here is a two-year chart with the lines drawn. And that's really what that is. Now, if I put in the trend line to see where it might be headed, just to get back to this trend line would imply about 1750. There's an unfilled gap from around that level. So we're up about 18% off the bottom. That would imply another 18%, 19% to go. I think you've got to do it even if uh, it feels late. I don't think it's late. It's still early.
2: Carter comes over. So we have oh. to invite oh. that Come over. Come on over, After Carter. Ryan will bring the, the chair in. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, nice
4: Ryan. You know, it's hard to chase things, right? Once they move, you feel like you've missed it. That's what makes them often go further because there's a certain percentage of the investigator that says, oh, I missed it, I can't do right. it. It's right to do it.
2: Will this move in GE um, coincide with a move in the industrials overall, or no? Well, is it idiosyncratic? I mean, uh, it's
4: really, that's right, it's so specific. This is a, a turnaround uh, situation, obviously, and all the reasons that we know that either it is going to get out of the epic mess it's in or it's not, the presumption is... The epic mess is behind it.
3: So, Carter, looking at that chart, you can look at the head and shoulders. Where, where do investors get out of this, right? So we buy it here around 15. What kind of targets right, so are we 15,
4: looking at? 15.26 or something like that today. Uh, that trend line comes in around 17.50. And there is an unfilled gap from January when it had a very bad earnings miss. Uh, gaps, not all gaps are filled, but gaps have a way of getting filled. That would get you back to the trend line. And that would be a sort of a measured move of the head and shoulders. If you take the width of the shoulder to the neckline, uh, another sort of 250.
1: You're
2: still holding, Tim, right?
1: Yeah, and, and what this deal shows you, I think, is that the street or, or, or the investor community or whoever is looking at GE um, got very clear on we're going to price assets here. And let's face it, they were 40 percent wrong on WebTech. Right. If you listen to Citibank, they had 7.9 billion in terms of the value, enterprise value on WebTech. They get 11.1. Um, maybe that's 35 percent. But but that may be how you have to look at it. I would also make the argument, and I have on this show, even if GE earns zero this year, is the company worth zero? Absolutely not. If they're getting more for their assets, I think you think about this thing a little bit differently. Energy should be priced higher for sure. My pushback. Be- oh, I'm yeah. Push, no, Dan I wasn't was going to push. push Dan? I'm going to pull, you push. The temerity. I I mean, yeah. uh, like the, the uh, llama
5: or the Dr. Doolittle. I was going to say quickly there's some chatter today about GE still short of that $20 billion where they had a sort of cut. They're still well short of it. And that was supposed to happen, I think, in February. Does that mean we eliminate the dividend? I don't know, but I don't know what it means for the stock if, in fact, they do. So you might actually see Carter's level.
2: We could reduce the dividend in line with the divestitures, which management has alluded to in the past. I don't know how that uh, would impact.
1: $20 is what they have to do. I, I think they're on their way.
2: All right. Thank you, Carter. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth, Corners Macro. Coming up, shares of Netflix jumping as the company signs a multi-year deal with the Obamas, and the traders are betting the streaming giant could pass Disney's market cap, and you won't believe how soon it could happen. We've got the details. Plus, Bitcoin Cash reigning supreme over the crypto world, and BK says there's an even <laughs> bigger rally in store for this cryptocurrency. He'll tell us why and answer your burning questions from Twitter. Keep them nice, keep them clean. We might answer them. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The battle between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash is as heated as ever. But for everyone on Bitcoin's side... I've got some bad news for you. In the past month, Bitcoin Cash hasn't just outperformed Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency rallying 6% versus a drop of 5% for Bitcoin. It has taken the crypto crown by also vanquishing the likes of Litecoin, which was down 9% in the last month, and Ripple, which has taken 21% during that time. And our resident crypto baller says that there is one thing that could send the cryptocurrency even further down the path of domination. BK is at the plasma, breaking it down in another crypto class. Speakers.
3: All right, so let's do it. First of all, let's take our skeptics hat off. We're not making a call necessarily on which one is which, but what are the catalysts out there, okay? So number one, what happened over the last couple days? Miners of Bitcoin Cash got together and proposed a development fund. What does that mean? They're going to take some of the rewards that they get from mining and put it into the fund to build stuff on top of Bitcoin Cash. Why is that important? Because that's how blockchains gain value. Think about it as an app store where things are being built in it. The bigger the app store, the better the app store. So that potentially could give value to Bitcoin Cash. Now, Bitcoin Cash isn't the only one with this, and this is a tactic used by many cryptocurrencies to foster development on the chain. could give it more use cases, okay? That means, what does that mean? It means people are gonna be coming in there building stuff on it. You're gonna get more use cases to the extent that usefulness, it translates into value, that could be a positive for Bitcoin Cash. The other part of this, it highlights the centralization of the miners, which in the cryptocurrency world isn't always a good thing. You might think of the miners like a cartel type of organization where there's a few of them getting together. Now, in this case, it appears to be a benevolent cartel, uh, but that can be a negative in the cryptocurrency world. Well, let's take a look at the market, because ultimately for BK, that's really all that matters. The market's the final arbitrator. So let's take take a look at this. All right, we have had that big spike. Those of you who are up at 3 o'clock in the morning and saw that big $3,000 price and sold it there, good for you. That wasn't BK. Uh, Now we are here. We've had this big, big downtrend. And look at this little uptrend we've got going here. We've held what was support. It's still support. So now we have a catalyst, and a good-looking chart, for me, that's a place that I want to buy.
2: All right. We have a lot of questions, BK, burning questions from our viewers. So we do want to take some of these tweets about Bitcoin Cash specifically so you can help them out. Our first tweet here is from Baymax. Baymax asks, how long do you plan to hold Bitcoin Cash? Is this a long-term play for you? So,
3: so for me, I'm a trader. So I'm always moving out. My job is to be, to be in the ones that are moving at that particular time. The long-term case for any of these currencies is that they get adopted as your global currency. Uh, and you know, Bitcoin certainly has a huge lead over that. They have a massive network effect. But any of these other currencies could become that, and that would be the long-term view.
2: Our next tweet is from Udi, who asks, Did you ever use Bitcoin Cash to make a purchase from a merchant that was under $1,000 in value? If so, what? And if not, what's it for?
3: That's a, uh, a great question, Udi. So, no, personally, I have not actually used Bitcoin Cash to buy anything for a merchant. But remember, I run a fund. So, for me, these are investments. But what are any of these things for? These are alternative financial systems, different ways to move things around. I've used Bitcoin before to buy things. Yeah, I've used Bitcoin to send money overseas. So, it's useful for that. But ultimately, uh, to your point, I think, Udi, is that if there is no use- usefulness to it, they don't have value.
2: Our last tweet is from CryptoZone, who really wants to know, BK, are you Roger <laughs> Veer?
3: You no, know, it turns out that I'm not. I am not Roger Veer. I'm just a guy trying to make some money, trying to help other folks out.
2: And there is no connection, right, BK? I between have no connection. To any,
3: no, there's no connection between me and Roger Veer or anybody else out there. There's absolutely no connection. I am a solo fella.
2: We get a lot of tweets. Along those lines, accusing us of manipulating like a Kaiser uh, of being on, well, on the take to promote a certain cryptocurrency, which is absolutely not the case. We do not take any payments to promote anything on this show. Nothing.
1: That's yeah, I mean Roger do. Ver, also known as Bitcoin Jesus. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think. Yeah. BK's, By That's the way, he, do you see
5: the lines that he drew on that chart? That was.
2: I mean, good thing Carter Braxton's left because he might be jealous. It's good. Th- right.
5: Yeah, that was. He's yeah. he's he has rocketed himself.
2: To the pantheon?
5: See, Dan is. See, you
2: didn't all see right, it, the guys. The ball.
6: That, was <laughs> that was a, a great good conversation, stand. B.K. We're gonna have to move along Coming here. it's just ended. <laughs> that Coming way. up.
2: Lights, camera, and cue the Obamas. President Obama and Michelle Obama signing a deal with Netflix to produce a new series. And some traders are betting Netflix will soon become more valuable than Disney. And you won't believe how soon. We'll break it all down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. As president, he was often referred to as No Drama Obama, but now former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama will be creating a lot of drama after signing a new deal with Netflix to create original content for the streaming giant. For more, let's get to Julia Borson out in Los Angeles. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Netflix has snagged some high-profile content creators,
10: but this deal with the Obamas is unlike anything the streaming giant has done before. Netflix shares moving a bit higher today after announcing that the Obamas have signed a multi-year agreement to produce films and series with Netflix through their new production company called Higher Ground Productions. This could include scripted series, unscripted series, docu-series, documentaries, and features. President Obama saying, quote, we hope to cultivate and curate the talented, inspiring, creative voices who are able to promote greater empathy and understanding between peoples and help them share their stories with the entire world. Netflix content chief Ted Sarando saying, quote, Barack and Michelle Obama are among the world's most respected and highly recognized public figures and are uniquely positioned to discover and highlight stories of people who make a difference in their communities and strive to change the world for the better. Now, this follows Netflix striking a number of high-profile, high-cost, content deals, including spending a reported $300 million to secure a five-year deal with TV producer Ryan Murphy. That deal announced back in February. After last year, Netflix announced deals with David Letterman, Dave Chappelle, and Shonda Rhimes, among others. Now, Netflix says it will spend as much as $8 billion on content this year, with over 450 originals premiering just between now and the end of the year. The Obama's content won't likely be released until next year, it will certainly jo- gro- certainly join a growing library of premium content.
2: Melissa, back over to you. All right, thank you very much, Julia Borston. Is this going to help Netflix? another, is this just sure, another it's all of, high profile signing of, you know, I, I think it, I think it's
3: a positive format. That's what it's all about here. Now, the knock is obviously they're spending a lot of money, but you have to have content on there. I remember back in the days of the cable, it was, why did you need to get this, right? You needed to get it because you have, wanted to see a show on it. Dan wanted to see the MTV. He liked that very much. He needed to get it.
6: Same here with Netflix. Video killed the radio star. Here, here's the deal. I, I just think that it's important to remember that this is not about just these series, the Stranger Things or Orange is the New Black. They're producing a ton of original docu series and stuff right. with you know the comedy and the, they're paying a lot for it so here's the inflection point at some point in the, at the end of this year they say hey you know that 8 billion dollars we're going to spend this year is going to be 10 oh and sub dropped. You know what I mean? That's yeah. when you have a problem. And I think what you're saying is until then, it's just, right. you know, Scott doesn't matter matters. I mean, please. first
1: of all, it, commendable. <laughs> it, it absolutely does matter. They're getting content. They're actually, they seem to be getting content that's more interesting than others. And they, you know, they're spending a lot of money on it. So now, you know, how do we value this content? I mean, at some point, um, let's acknowledge. I, and I said for a long time, I don't think you can call them a content player. Let's call them a content player. What's a content player worth? You know, even with a video subscription that ultimately has an annuity attached to it, that also the cable guys seemingly have as well. So this is this is the problem. It's the valuation. It's not that they're not delivering a good service, but why are we pricing it at 200 times?
2: Shouldn't we price them though as a content plus a distribution platform? Yes,
1: we are. But but again, but if if you look at the wireless guys, and effectively, Uh I think the cable companies also who have a wireless business are the ones that should be getting. They're they're getting at least that much to distribute.
5: Domestic growth continues to just when you think they can't grow any more domestically, they grow more domestically, and international growth continues. So they can sign the Obamas and the rest of us. <laughs> Won't make a difference. The stock is going higher as long as that growth continues. And that growth, except for one quarter that I can recall, has not waned now for the last four or five I mean, the years. The stock
2: might sell down if they signed us.
5: You believe that? Oh, they not sure.
2: Option probably. traders are betting the deal will boost shares of Netflix by more than 20%, and that would make Netflix more value, valuable than Disney. So why don't you break this trade down?
6: Yeah, so it's just one trade that kind of caught my eye. It was clearly unusual, probably because of the strike price. But today, on a day where the stock actually acted well, uh, better than the rest of FANG, um, call volume was one and a half times that of puts. And today, when the stock was trading, 3.30 before noon, there was somebody accumulating the July 400 strike calls, paying about a, bo- a buck 63 for $2,200. To them. Um, I'm assuming that they're bought here. I mean, listen, you have to think about this in terms of premium. This is not a huge bet. This is probably $365,000 uh, in premium. If they were, in fact, bought, the company should report earnings by July expiration, possibly like July 16th or 17th. So this could be a way that a long holder who's owns the stock here. The stock is up 71% year-to-date. This break-even, if these are a long buy, um, is up 20% from here. So this is not a high probability bet. This is not a way to be bullish on Netflix. It's a way to probably lever up an existing bet.
2: All right. For more options, action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. So ahead is Take Two Interactive having a Fortnite nightmare, or will it renew interest in video games? The stock is up about 20% over the past month. Their CEO just sat down with Mad Money's Jim Kramer for an exclusive interview. We will bring you those comments. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Gaming. Stock Take-Two Interactive has been on a tear, up nearly 18% in the past month, beating out rivals like Electronic Arts and Activision. The CEO just spoke with Jim Cramer moments ago about about how his company is dealing with growing competition from hits like Fortnite. Take a listen.
1: It apparently speaks, at least anecdotally, to a younger audience, and there seems to be a good deal of evidence that those who are playing Fortnite are new to the category, and as they age, you know, they will obviously be consumers of more mature titles, and currently they can consume titles that are rated for everyone. Uh, My view is it would be great if we could corner the market on all hits. That's not realistic. The emphasis is on innovation, not derivation.
2: So we'll take two's tear, continue, and we turn to our chief gaming correspondent, Tim Seymour.
1: Well, glad, glad to be here, Mel, because I think this is where all the cool kids are. And if you look at this company and you want to put a 30 multiple on roughly $4.30 to 40 cents next year, it's $130 stock. And now it's rallied all the way up from a low of 90 when we were questioning big multiples and the worst of this market pullback. Um, but think about what these guys have, and we've talked about the, the NBA esports, we've talked about the, the, and they just, you know, that just highlights why I think they have both a current viewer base, a growing current viewer base, and maybe even pulling in older guys like me. If they couldn't sell, they being
5: the marketplace, couldn't sell the stock off after this announcement on May 17th, after rallying from $91 to $117, then how are you going to sell it off? I'm in Tim camp, Tim's camp, and we've been in it for a while. You well, stay
6: with take two. Except he just said if you put a 30 multiple on this. I mean, right. when I'm looking yep. at EA, I'm looking at uh, $5 in earnings, expected earnings this year. You put 30 on that. You have 150. The stock's at 133. And the real issue is are you going to see some of these trends in esports accelerate their earnings? Maybe not yet. You know? So really valuation at 30 times for mid-teens growth, that's what's challenging, I think.
2: All right, and don't miss, of course, the full interview with Jim Cramer and the CEO of Take-Two on Mad Money. That is tonight, top of the hour. All right, up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Tim.
1: Uh, U.S. Steel, look, I think without a trade war, this company would be trading 20% higher. Whatever we have, I think the company's worth more than it is here.
3: Brian Kelly. Uh, you know, Mnuchin said that the farmers were going to be happy, so
6: nothing runs like a deer. D-E like it. Dan Nathan. Uh, nice. Uh, PayPal has
5: an analyst day coming up on the May 24th. I think you'll probably see new highs in this one in the coming week. A spirited hey. show this evening. There A lot of facial uh, expressions by Dan off-camera directed at the four of us. Yes, yeah, no, they weren't nice either. Nice. They weren't. No, nice. none, none of heard. them were nice. Never heard. No, it is nice, though. win Resorts. Do you see that thing? Just wants to go higher, folks. All
2: right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
6: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX.